Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com/CSB1. Welcome to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. If you've been paying attention to politics for the last quarter century, there's a list of names you know not because they were public people, but because they were the geniuses behind their presidents. Karl Rove, Dick Morris, David Axelrod, Steve Bannon. Most of these folks don't speak much to the media at the height of their power because their role is to be the brilliant PR men to understand how to package their candidates and then their presidents for his constituents. Well, around the time that Dick Morris was helping President Clinton, a 103-year-old man named Edward Bernays passed away. Bernays was the guy who had taught America a new and a lot more effective way to do PR. He had been born in 1891 into kind of an unusual family. His uncle was Sigmund Freud. And Bernays could sell pretty much anything, cigarettes, books, soap, and maybe most consequentially, politicians. Larry Tai is the author of The Father of Spin, Edward L. Bernays and the Birth of Public Relations. And he says, Bernays thought of himself as the smartest guy around, and he knew he could reshape the world. His influence, the influence of public relations and the influence of the combining the art and the science of public relations the way Eddie Bernays did, is everywhere. How did he do it? Well, you could say it was all in the family. What he did in his career was take his uncle's ideas on why people behave the way they did and recraft that behavior to make them act like his clients wanted them to. And whether that was voting for a certain candidate or buying a certain kind of toothpaste, Eddie Bernays knew not just how to sell things, but how to reshape people's whole notion of what they wanted and what they needed. We'll get to politics in a minute, but here's an example of how this rather brilliant ability to manipulate public opinion played out for the young Bernays, who had immigrated from Austria to America when he was an infant. Eddie Bernays was approached at one point in his early career by the leading booksellers in America, and they wanted to sell more books. And in the pre-Eddie Bernays days, the way you would have done that is you would have lowered the price and people would buy more books. To Eddie Bernays, that was vertical, straightforward thinking, and he was a lateral thinker. And so what he did was he went to the leading opinion makers in the country, and he asked them a question that he knew the answer to. And the question was, is it a good thing for civilization if people read more books? (laughs) Now, if you find anybody in the world, including our current president, who says that books are bad for civilization, I'd like to meet that person. So he gets nearly 100% of all these leading intellectuals saying books make sense for civilization. And then he goes to the leading home builders and designers of the era, And he convinces them they can strike a blow for civilization by building into every new home and every new apartment built-in bookshelves. And he knew if he had bookshelves, people weren't going to put cereal boxes there. They were going to put books there. And he convinced, and it was brilliant, 
all the leading booksellers not just to sell more books one by one, but to have an entire house full of books. And when you go into, I don't know what it's like in your home or apartment, but people love the world that comes and visits to have them think that they're reading all the books on their bookshelves, and so they buy en masse a lot of books. And that was the way (laughs) Eddie Bernays reshaped everything. The world before was the discount. The world after was get people to buy books en masse to show that they're literate. Let me actually go back for a minute because um, he was involved in politics in his own day um, with Woodrow Wilson, with Calvin Coolidge. Talk a little bit about his efforts to sell the American people on political ideas. So it's not just that, you know, he has ramifications today. He, he was into that when he was uh, around. So. You asked two questions. One is selling the world on politicians, and the other is on ideas. Let's take politicians for a second. Calvin Coolidge, at the time that he brought in Eddie Bernays, was known as one of the sourest politicians in America. He was somebody that nobody especially liked, and Eddie Bernays understood that, and he decided that he had to come in and sweeten up this guy's personality. So he No, hold on. Was this, was sure. this because somebody just paid him a whole boatload of money? Did he like Calvin Coolidge's policies? What was the motivation here? So the motivation, as always, with Eddie Bernays was a combination of cash dollars and of ego. Okay. And the cash dollars were somebody paid him a lot of money, and the ego was could he actually take a sitting American president and reshape their image? And this was a perfect kind of Freud or Bernaysian kind of challenge. So what he did is he brought to Washington a trainload, Al Jolson, and a trainload of happy celebrities. And he had... Al Jolson, the musician. Al Jolson, the musician. Al Jolson, the great musician and entertainer and guy that people, that Americans thought of as a happy-go-lucky kind of guy, which was exactly the opposite of the way they thought of Calvin Coolidge. And by bringing them into Washington and having them hang out for a day at the White House and bringing in all the right press of the day to see Calvin Coolidge having a great time with Al Jolson, he reshaped in a small way that ended up becoming a big way the image of an American president. And he, more importantly, showed that what we think of somebody today doesn't have to be the limitation of what we will think of them tomorrow. And he would have absolutely um, gotten a thrill out of seeing the way that political spin has become so much a part of what we do that every politician does it in an extraordinary way and never, ever in our history, in a way as effective as taking an entertainer like Donald Trump and putting him in the White House. And that was pure Bernaysian. We will, we will get to that. I, I, you, when I said what were his incentives, you mentioned cash and ego. I noticed you did not mention ideology. So this was not like it wasn't like Calvin Coolidge was promoting policies that were Eddie Bernays's favorite policies. No. So Eddie Bernays ideology was shall we say flexible and <laughs> he could in one generation help convince a generation of American women that didn't smoke cigarettes to smoke cigarettes and have probably a bigger impact on addicting a generation in the 1920s and 1930s of American women to smoking cigarettes and anybody at any tobacco company. And then 40 years later, he could come in with no ideology and convince 
a generation of women that it was dangerous to smoke the cigarettes that he had helped addict them to. His ideology was flexible. His ideology was shifting as his clients did and as American public opinion did. And uh, he made tremendous amounts of money from those campaigns. Let's actually listen to a commercial, um, a Lucky Strike commercial, and that is the cigarette that he really is known for helping to push. And, you know, there was this time when it was considered unfeminine, right, to for women to smoke. But, you know, by around 1930, there was a real desire to tap into an untapped market. And the question was, how do you make a cigarette seem feminine? So we're going to listen to a commercial. This is from the um, 1950s. It starts off with the popular TV announcer, uh, Sandy Becker. Hi, my name is Sandy Becker. You've probably heard me telling about Lucky's Better Taste. Well, here's someone else who's found that Lucky's taste better. America's prettiest golf pro, Miss Alice Bauer. After a hard day out on the golf course and really hard competition, I like to come in and sit down and relax and light up a Lucky. I guess that's a matter of taste, too. But to me, Lucky's taste better. You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm Kara Miller. I'm talking with Larry Ty, the author of The Father of Spin, Edward Bernays, and the Birth of Public Relations. So, so Larry Ty, how did... Edward Bernays take cigarettes and convince women, which he did very successfully, that smoking was a cool thing to do for women. So we get a hint of what he did in that clip that you just played. He brought in an elegant, very female star and had her say that cigarettes were okay with her and that they were actually better than okay, that they were relaxing and that they were something good for her to be doing. What he did in one of the most brilliant single strokes of a public relations campaign ever, what he did on Easter Sunday, which was a holiday that suggested sort of freedom, religious freedom, on Fifth Avenue in New York, the boulevard that suggested American style and elegance and sort of the center of American public life. He convinced women to light up on a Sunday, on this Easter Sunday, what he called their torches of freedom. Mm. So they didn't know that he was working for a tobacco company. They thought they were striking a blow for the early women's liberation movement. And he had them march down Fifth Avenue with every reporter that mattered in the world ready to watch this. And it was called the Torches of Freedom campaign. And it looked like an effort to strike a blow for women's freedom. And in fact, what it was trying to do is double the size of the market for cigarettes. You had all the men already addicted, lots of men in America addicted, but no women smoking cigarettes. And he managed for the biggest tobacco maker in America, American Tobacco Company, to make cigarettes look like something that were perfectly suited for the stylish woman, which is what every woman in America back then wanted to be. Mm -hmm. And it was extraordinary. And it was, he got this idea not by just sitting down and thinking it up. He got the idea by going to a guy named Dr. A.A. Brill, who was a disciple of his uncle Sigmund's, and he had said, what is the taboo that is preventing women from lighting up cigarettes? And Brill said that it was seen by them as being unladylike. And so he made it from something negative to something positive. It worked, and we know it worked because we can watch the rates of lung cancer in American women shoot up from that early period where they started first smoking cigarettes when Eddie Bernays brought them into this bad habit. By the way, do, do you think that he knew that cigarettes were bad for you? He never smoked. 
he never smoked, and what his daughters, both of whom live in the Boston area, what his daughters say is that at home, at the same time he was trying to addict a generation of women to smoke cigarettes, he told them to take their mother's cigarettes and crush them like bones and flush them down the toilet. So it was a time when almost everybody in the world could say we didn't know how dangerous smoking was. Eddie Bernays was one of the few people who did know because all the early evidence that was coming in and was disguised or tossed away by the tobacco companies, Eddie Bernays had access to. So can you think of an instance or two? I mean, we obviously just went through a presidential campaign and and presidential campaigns now and maybe always were about selling the people and the ideas in them. But explain to me how you think that Bernays' influence showed up, let's say, in the last election. So it showed up less effectively than she would have liked with everything that Hillary Clinton did. Every focus group that she held That was Bernays. Every time that she tried to spin her message for a particular audience as she segmented the electorate, this is a message I'm going to take into black America. This is a message I'm going to take into Hispanic America. This is my message for women and trying to show that I am sensitive to women's issues. All of that, the scientific polling, taking the polls and staging events, every one of those things was a direct a direct uh, hand-me-down from Eddie Bernays. But the guy who not only used all those techniques, but who in his heart and soul reflected Bernays' perfect notion of what an entertainer was more than a candidate and what the ultimate spinmeister was, was Donald Trump. He never went off message. He looked like he was appealing to... What did Hillary Clinton call them? The deplorables? Mm -hmm. But in fact, he knew just who he was going after. He knew precisely the message he was crafting for them. And he showed, he understood how to make this thing work in a way that probably would have shocked even Eddie Bernays' flexible sense of ideology and of ethics. But it worked incredibly well. So now explain this to me, though, because... Eddie Bernays seems like a very methodical guy. He understood, as you said, he he could segment a population. He understood, okay, if you want to increase people, number of people smoking, the number of people buying books, you do this over here and you do this over here and you do this over here. Okay. And if Hillary Clinton was doing that, then isn't that to some degree testament to the failure of his ideas? And on the other side, Donald Trump... May, I mean, it's, you know, it's hard to know. It's impossible to know fully what happened behind the scenes. But he did not seem like a scientifically driven candidate, like, right, that he was really, truly understanding what everybody wanted and tailoring his message. M- maybe he instinctively understood. But do you know what I mean? Yes. But so you answered your own question at the end when you said the instinct. Hillary Clinton understood the science of all the things, and she would have been a perfect Freudian disciple. What she was missing was the other half of the equation, the art of it. Donald Trump doesn't understand science. He doesn't believe in the science of just about anything, probably including uh, psychology and the way people behave the way that they do, but he understood the art in a way that only an artist, you could say maybe a con man or an entertainer would, and he instinctively got up there and performed every time in a way that was appealing beyond the media, directly to an audience, in a way, the only evidence, I would have thought that we'd be looking at the election and saying, 
Trump didn't get any of this. He didn't get what Bernays stood for. And yet the outcome of the vote suggested that he got it better than anybody. He understood how to piece it together with precisely what Eddie Bernays wrote a series of books. And one of his books was called simply Propaganda. And in Eddie Bernays' mind, propaganda was not a bad thing. It was taking and understanding behavior and changing it. Donald Trump understood every hot button to push how to use propaganda in a way that has redefined, I think, what campaigns will look like and maybe redefined what America will look like. And Eddie Bernays, Eddie Bernays was Jewish. Eddie Bernays grew up hating everything that Adolf Hitler stood for. And yet Eddie Bernays took a certain kind of pride in the fact that on the bookshelves, in the bookshelves of Joseph Goebbels, the propaganda minister for Adolf Hitler, were Eddie Bernays' books on behavior. And he understood that anybody could use this stuff. You could use public relations and public attitude shifting for better and for worse. And he would have watched with some degree of awe and some degree of shock the way Donald Trump used all of his techniques brilliantly. Um, You've pointed out that PR has become more and more integrated into politics. Obviously, Bernays was involved in, in, well, politics really in some ways throughout his life. Um, A PR firm was hired uh, to influence America around the first Persian Gulf War that that started in 1990. you know, as you said, Bernays lived a long time. He was 103, died in 1995. What did he make of how politics had changed, some of it as a result of the kind of PR strategies, the kind of sort of commercialism strategies he had brought into the domain of politics? He loved it. He loved it because it showed that he had had an influence. When he started out, he was called when he died in a front-page obituary in the New York Times. He was called the father of public relations. That was... Anytime anybody says the name Eddie Bernays who knows that field, they assume that he was the father. Well, he was a good enough spin guy that, in fact, he wasn't the father, but he was the best practitioner. And so he gave himself the moniker that he wanted. He outlived all of his would-be contestants to that crown. And he loved the fact that from commercial life to political life, taking women to smoking cigarettes to taking America to war... He could look and understand the role he personally had played in one campaign after another, and he could look at everything that came after and say, they are my children. I was the father, and I can see direct links in terms of how public relations influences everything we do. Larry Tai is the author of The Father of Spin, Edward Bernays, and the Birth of Public Relations. His most recent book is a biography of Robert Kennedy. Thank you so much for being here. Great to be with you. On our website, we've got links to both a compilation of Lucky Strike ads from the 1950s and clips of an interview that Edward Bernays did with journalist and former political advisor Bill Moyers. Here's Bernays talking with Moyers about his work on behalf of Woodrow Wilson after World War I. Woodrow Wilson became a godhead symbol. They believed that he had made the world safe for democracy. They believed that he had fought the war to end all wars. And, and so yet, did I. And you, you believed it. You believed your own propaganda. <laughs> That's all at innovationhub.org.
Support for Innovation Hub comes from Cambridge Savings Bank. Introducing the CSB1 package, a checking account combined with investing through Connect Invest to help you build a better tomorrow. CambridgeSavings.com/CSB1